as those who are, have been here regularly realize, I'm not the normal teacher. Bill Bain has been teaching uh, this class. I'm filling in because I believe he's over preaching at, um, at another congregation here in town. Uh, so you're getting the B team this morning. Uh, and even though, even though he, and I, I've given him a hard time about it, kept talking about my wisdom in choosing James, those of y'all that know me, Know that it had nothing to do with wisdom. Uh, you know, it's one of those that a blind squirrel will find a nut from time to time that, that we have this plan. But all joking aside, uh, Bill has done an outstanding job this quarter, I think. And so I've got big shoes to fill. And with that said, I really value y'all's comments um, to, to build off of um, what we're studying this morning. Uh, I have a mic, and as does Bill in the back. And so if you have comments, if you just raise your hand, we'll get you a mic as soon as possible. Um, so we're going to continue our study and actually finish our study of James um, this morning. Um, let me silence my phone before it starts ringing on us. Um, finish our study of James. And, and back to kind of what, what Bill has done each time he's taught this class. And we're thinking about James as a whole. Um, we, we start off the book of James, uh, the introduction talking or directing this letter to the, the scattered Jewish Christians. Um, and so most people would believe, looking at Acts 7 and 8, um, that it's those, those Christians that were scattered as a result of persecution. Likely Stephen's death uh, and uh, spread out, we can read about that in Acts chapter 11 also, as a result of that persecution. And James, throughout this letter we've seen, provides some really practical guidance, um, some, some concise and clear and direct guidance for those Christians. Uh, we've seen throughout a lot of the do this, don't do that. And we're going to see that continued today. Um, so this section today, we're going to talk about speech, uh, both from, a, from a, our tongue and how we should use our tongue, but also uh, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. Uh, and I'm not going to go through this verse by verse. Obviously, that's a, a lot of verses to try to cover in 45 minutes. Uh, but we are going to spend a little bit more time on some specific verses in these two passages. Um, because I think that there will probably be some questions or comments. But also, from a selfish standpoint, it's more interesting to me certain passages here. So I'm going to spend some, some time talking about uh, some specific passages. And specifically starting out... James chapter 3, verse 1, around teachers. Um, and so as, has Bill, as Bill has done, I'm going to try to do the same. I've got some comments, but like I said in the beginning, value your comments or your questions around some of these topics, um, especially some of the topics that, like I said, there's probably going to be some questions or some additional comments on this being one of them. So let's start out James chapter 3. Uh, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Um, so with that being said, so what does that mean? Does that mean we should not be teachers? Um, and we're going to get into that. But, but before we get into it, I think we need to make sure we're thinking about what he's talking about when he speaks to teachers. I think we need to make sure we're thinking and looking at this in a more broader sense. Um, is he talking about teachers that are standing before a class? Yes, he is. But I think he's talking more broader, uh, more broadly, and teachers in general. 
whether you're teaching in a formal sense here or in one of the classrooms in the back, or whether you're teaching your neighbor, uh, those around you, teaching them the word. I think he's, te- he's speaking more broadly here. So we need to be cautious. We need to be hesitant. We need to make sure we're ready before we're teachers in any sense of the word. Formal, yes, definitely, but even beyond that. Um, and so I think here, um, it's not saying you shouldn't be teachers, I think. Uh, it's saying we should be cautious before we take on that role of teacher. In uh, using some of my words, if, if you aren't going to approach teaching with study, with reverence, with a knowledge of the gravity of what you're presenting, if you're just going to kind of stumble about and stab at it, kind of go at it halfway, you shouldn't go into it. You shouldn't take on that role of teacher. Don't, if you aren't going to take the time, as we're going to look at in the latter part of this chapter, or at least the latter part of the verses we're going to look at, to, to tame your tongue and to think about how you're controlling the words that you're presenting to those that are, you're teaching, you probably don't need to go become a teacher. Um, And obviously the why is because you'll have a stricter judgment. Um, um, So I think about a couple of verses here. Uh, I thought about a couple of verses. So 1 Timothy 1 and verse 7, um, some people have strayed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So we need to make sure we're not that person. We need to make sure we're not that person who doesn't know the word, who doesn't know the law, um, and who's making assertions that are, that are outside what the word is. And so we need to, as we're taking on that role of teacher, we need to make sure that we're doing the prep, we're studying, we understand the subject, and we understand the context, and we can clearly convey the word because this is the word of God. So obviously, why is it important? Um, we've talked about in this verse already, we have a stricter judgment, but I thought about, I thought about Matthew chapter uh, 12, verse 37. Um, I tell you that for every careless word... I'm beginning in verse six, uh, 36. Every careless word that people speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. So the words that we use, and Matthew is a, the, is a broader sense, not just teaching, will be judged by, but I think it obviously applies to if we're teaching. Uh, and, and thus, because we're teaching, we're presenting God's word, if we're not very cautious uh, and very careful as opposed to what's said in verse 36 of Matthew 12, careless. If we're not careful when we're teaching, then obviously we're going to be held to a a stricter judgment. Uh, We're going to be held accountable for the words that we use. Um, And so with that in mind, we need to be very careful. We need to do the preparation that it takes. We need to make sure we're spending the time that it takes so that we know that we're presenting God's word in the way it should be presented. So with that, you know, uh, the other side of it is we, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful, but we don't need to be so careful as to say, well, I'm going to be held to a stricter judgment. And so because of that, I'm just not going to teach. Well, that's not, that's not the right answer either. 
You know, do we need to be cautious? Do we need to be prepared? Do we need to, to be diligent and make sure we're at a certain level before we start teaching? Yes. But that shouldn't cause us to step so far back to say, well, I don't want stricter judgment, so I'm not going to do it. Well, I think the flip side of it is if we don't do what we're supposed to, we're also going to be held to a stricter judgment. Uh, we're also going to be held accountable for that. And I thought about two two verses that, that kind of speak to to that idea. Um, you know, I think about Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Um, for, by, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Again, Hebrews 5 is not talking about being teachers. It's more about how you're growing and how you're maturing. By that time... The writer of Hebrews is saying they should have progressed to become teachers, um, but they haven't. So I think being a teacher is taking that verse is part of what the natural progression of a, a Christian is. And again, back to my initial point, it's not teacher in this sense or in the sense in the back where you're a formal teacher. It's, it's a teacher in general, teaching others God's word um, and I also thought about um, Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. Uh, From everyone who is given much, much will be demanded, and of whom they've entrusted much, to him they will ask all the more. So if we've been given the, the abilities to teach, if we've been given the knowledge, develop the knowledge ourselves, it's our responsibility to use that. Think of the, the parable of the talents. If we aren't using our talents, if we aren't using our abilities to the glory of God, we're going to be held accountable for that. Um, and um, so the last verse I thought about was the Great Commission, Mark 16, uh, 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Obviously directed at the apostles, but I think it's a responsibility of us too. It's a responsibility and a commandment for us also to preach and teach the word. So, I've shot through that pretty quickly. Those are kind of my comments on, on this verse um, and, and what it means. Like I said, I would love to hear anyone's comments, anyone's questions around this. If you have thoughts around um, this verse or if I'm off base on it, I would love to hear that. you first. He's, he's got your microphone there. First uh, Corinthians 12 tells us that we should desire the greater gifts. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've eloquently said, you know, that teachers will be judged more strictly, mm-hmm. but that's something that we should want. We should all yeah. aspire to be yeah. better. Yeah. And it, it, not only aspire to, and I think it's inherent in what you're saying, is not only aspire to it, but pursue it. It's something that we have to work at. You know, c- could... Should someone, even if they're studying, be up in front of a group uh, immediately? No. But it's something that you should start working towards and saying, I'm not ready to do that yet, but here's what I'm doing to get ready for that. David? I was just going to bring in the fact that when you have Paul instructing the evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says, okay, what, what you have heard, what you've learned, he says, you know, I want you to entrust this to faithful men so that they will be able to teach others. And so there is that call 
responsibility to pass on that responsibility and obligation. And it's interesting, in that same chapter, as you read further on in uh, the second chapter of Second Timothy, then it gets to, I think, kind of the, the point that you are making, where in verse 14, he says, okay, remind you know, these individuals you know, not to wrangle about words that are going to lead to ruin, but, but instead he says, okay, be diligent so you'll, you'll handle the word of truth correctly. And he says, and avoid you know, uh, chatter or emptiness that leads to ungodliness. And kind of, so you see the balance there between the call, the responsibility of teaching and us growing to that capacity and desiring to do that, but at the same time you know, being spirit-led in our wisdom in how we communicate. Yeah, and I, I thought about that passage in, in, in Timothy. Again, handing or giving the word to those that will be faithful to communicate it to others. It doesn't say he's not directing Timothy to give it to other preachers to preach or to other elders to, to teach or other formal teachers. He's giving it to men, and I think it's, in my opinion, left general on purpose because it's something that should be you know, given to all of us to spread the word. Again, it's, it's implicit in the, the New Testament, the direction that's given to us is, are we ready to give an account or defend the hope that's within us and share the word with those around us? You know, that's one of the, if not, if, if not one of them, the most important things that we need to do around or relative to those around us is teach and, and preach the gospel. I just want—I just wanted to say um, that you gotta be careful what you say and do, especially in front of people who are not Christians and stuff. Because if you're not living a good life or you're not using correct speech or anything like that, how are you gonna correct somebody else or study with somebody else to clean up their life if your life is a mess? Yeah, we're going to get into that in in a second when we when we talk about the tongue um, a little bit more. So, Nate, well, that that's what I was somewhat going to allude to, and not wanting to hope not stepping on something you're fixing to go into. Please but step on it. but when you when you read verse verse one and two you know, consecutively, I, I think they're very very closely knit together mm-hmm. because you know he's talking about the aspect of, of teaching, and then, then he goes into verse two for we all stumble on many things. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's linking those two together. So our effectiveness of being teachers is going to be based on our tongue and how we use it. Yeah. So good segue. Uh, unless there are other questions or comments. Um, good segue into the, the other verses that, that we're going to look at in chapter 3. And so... Uh, before we continue on, we can look at some of the things that have just been spoken to. You can see in verses 2 through 5 in James chapter 3 um, how the, the tongue is or has great impact. And I think that's great impact on ourselves and our, our, our um, relationship with God, but also great impact on those around us, uh, whether we're teaching or otherwise. You see in verses 6 through 8, uh, the tongue poses a great threat, um, and so we need to realize that and, and be cognizant of it. Um, and then verses 9 through 12, uh, well, where we'll finish out, is uh, the tongue can be used to defy our nature. Um, and the tongue can be shown to be, um, show us to be inconsistent. 
Um, you know, the, the idea of walking the walk and talking the talk, sometimes the tongue doesn't reflect that. Um, so we're going to look at that a little bit. Let's start out with the first one, the tongue has great impact. And here, uh, James gives us three very um, solid visual illustrations of how something very small can have dramatic impact. Um, the, the horse uh, with a bit in its mouth, you know, relatively small compared to the animal. Uh, the rudder of a ship, again, relatively small compared to the size of the ship or a small fire that leads to a vast forest fire. So those small things can have dramatic impact. And, and obvious, the obvious application is the tongue, relatively small compared to the rest of our body, has a huge amount of impact um, on us, on those around us. Uh, and so if we can control the tongue, that very small piece of our body, we can control the whole body. And you think about um, there are those here, Tolly and Roger, who have horses. Uh, there's those here who have been around horses far more than I have. But you think about how big that animal is. Um, you know, I've seen, been around horses, their backs are, are taller than, than I can reach. And that's not even their heads, just their back. You've seen up in Pennsylvania these draft horses that are unbelievably huge and unbelievably powerful. And they're controlled by that small piece of metal, that small bit. Now, in thinking about it and, and kind of expanding on, on this illustration here, is that automatic? Does that just happen naturally? No. That comes by training. That comes by, by an individual working with them. And, and to a certain extent, you see the old cowboy movies, the cowboys breaking those horses. Uh, and I think it's, it's a good application for us. Yes, that bit would work in our mouth, but we have to, to break our own will. We have to break our own maybe natural inclinations to lash out at people and to use our tongue inappropriately. Um, and again, I think that's the idea here is that small piece, and we're going to expand on it a little bit later on, but it can be controlled, but it's not easy to control. Um, and so with that in mind, we'll, we'll continue on in, in verses six through eight. Um, the tongue poses a great threat. Uh, verse six, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Um, so here we see um, the, the tongue being compared to or expanding on that idea of fire that we talked about in, in verse 5. Uh, and I think about how fire is used or how we've referenced it at the very least earlier in some of the chapters in James. We think about James chapter 1, where it talks about how, or we talked about how the trials and the difficulties allow us to become stronger. And I think Bill referenced that, that idea of that purifying fire, uh, how it purifies and makes stronger, uh, purifies gold, makes us stronger. Um, but here it's talking about how fire can destroy, not making us stronger. And so let's turn back real briefly to James chapter 1, because I think it's important to think back to James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, relative to the tongue. 
the the reference I made earlier is um, around verses four and five, around how trials and difficulties make us stronger, how that fire of trial would make us stronger. But but verses nineteen and twenty talk about how the tongue. Um, should be controlled. And I think it's good foundational verses for us to think about as we start this conversation. Verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So I think as we think about the tongue, and, and Bill has already made that point, the, the point that quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, I think he said, and we've all heard before, you've got two ears and one mouth. You should be listening twice as much as you talk. Um, something I, um, sometimes I struggle with, probably all of us struggle with, that we have a tendency to let our mouth get ahead of our mind sometimes. Uh, but adding to that, the latter part of verse 19, slow to anger. I think oftentimes anger is what leads us to this fire that's being described in, in chapter um, 3. Um, the fire here in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 um, is not a purifying fire. It's a fire of destruction, as I've already said. It, it's a fire that can inflict pain. Uh, I think about, um, I think I've gotten behind on my slide. No, I don't. Um, I think about the, the, the passages that talk about backbiting and go- gossiping and slander uh, of malicious words. I think about the pain and the, the conflict it can cause between individuals, um, but also the, 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 the uh, strife or the discord that it can create in the church, in the body of Christ. Um, and words matter. You know, we, we've all heard that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, I, I don't think that's true. Um, I think that we all know that or have experienced that, that words other people say can hurt. And so because of that, we need to think about how we're approaching each other, whether it's as a teacher or whether it's ha- how we approach each other as fellow Christians. Uh, think about what we're saying, but also think about how we're saying it. Um, because words can be misunderstood, words can be misconstrued, uh, so it can have a dramatic impact on the hearer. It can have a dramatic impact in turn on on how we're being judged. Um, and, and again, I think back to, to Nate's point, I think it's these verses are, are following the, the comment around teachers on purpose. Uh, because as teachers, we need to be all the more careful with how we're using our words and what we're saying. Um, we need to be thinking and planning as a teacher what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it so that it's not construed. Why? Obviously, because we're going to be held to a, a higher judgment. But, but more importantly, it's the Word of God. Um, and the gravity that's associated with that and the... the um, responsibility that's placed on the teacher is, is pretty high. And so we need to just make sure that we're preparing and thinking about what we're saying and how we're saying it so that we are presenting God's word in the right light. So in verse 8, we read on, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. So what does that mean? No one can contain or tame the tongue. Um, 
I think it's a little bit of a hyperbole here um, showing how difficult it is to tame the tongue. Uh, if it means no one can ever tame the tongue, then what's the use of even trying? You know, I might as well just give up, you know, going back to, again, a little bit of a different passage, but eat, drink, and be merry. Say what I want to say and just going about it. Well, obviously, that's not what, what James is saying here. Uh, I think what he's saying is, is we can't always tame the tongue. Um, at times, our tongue is going to get away from us. Um, but we can tame the tongue sometimes. It's not easy. Uh, as with a wild animal, even a horse that's been trained, again, I've never been around horses, but even a horse that's been trained for various reasons, maybe they're hurt, maybe they're injured, whatever, you might lose control of them. And I think that's the idea is we need to work daily to control our tongue. We need to work not only daily, but minute to minute, hour to hour to make sure we're thinking about that. Um, if, we, if we think about God's will and turn and submit and, and yield to God, it'll make it easier. If we humbly submit and then guard ourselves. Um, you, again, you think about a tame animal. It's wild, um, but it can be controlled as long as the, the, the person in charge, the person that holds that bridle, the, the tamer as it may be, is constantly aware. Uh, constantly aware of, of that animal and keeps control of it. Um, um, again, back to, to verse one, verse nine, uh, for James chapter one, verse 19, quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, are we pausing? Are we thinking about what we say before we say it? Um, are we just going off on, on kind of our own tangent and speaking out of term? So I'm going to pause here for just a second and see. I've got some other comments um, on the latter part of these these verses, or the latter part, verses 9 through 12, around defying our nature. But I wanted to see if there's any comments or questions. Mitch, Mitch and then John. Uh, James always uses a lot of practical application and examples. And I think in this case... Um, you know, it's things that we readily understand, right? Why, uh, why is he using examples of a, of a horse and a, a ship and a fire? It's because that's something that people of that day were exposed to on a regular basis and they understood fully. It's also something that they would have been taught how to be around and how to use and how to interact with in a careful way so that they didn't cause a forest fire or the house to burn down or a stampede or whatever the case may be. And I think that's similar to, you know, things that we use on a regular basis today, right? Electricity is a very powerful thing. If you use it the wrong way, it can cause great harm and damage. And so we teach our kids not to stick a fork in the light plug and do all these different things. And so that's kind of the solution of everybody has a tongue. Everyone has the ability to talk, um, you know, for the most part. And so we can't just say, well, okay, then it's, it's very dangerous. So just don't do it because we all have it. We're all going to be able to do it. You, you train individuals to use the tongue correctly the same way you would with a fire in that you show them the warning signs to look out for, when danger would come, and how to use it correctly and in the best way. Yeah. And I think to add on just to very well said, I think to add on to uh, one thought is if used correctly, all of those things are very beneficial. 
you know, they, they are very helpful. A horse plowing a field is far better than me plowing a field. It's not going to get done very quickly. A, a ship hauling cargo is going to be far better than me rowing a boat. Uh, and so all of these things are useful if used correctly uh, and, and needed if used correctly. Uh, just a thought about taming the tongue, which says no one can tame the tongue there. But obviously, he's writing these things, as you pointed out, to tell us you need to control your tongue. <laughs> and obviously, we can do it. But I think j- just a thought, the taming the tongue, it, what he's saying is you can never tame it to the point that you can just forget about it and turn your back on it and not give it any more effort. It's something you've got to do the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's something we've got to work at every day. It's not a it's not a destination. We're something we're working at constantly, right? Kind of just to to tag on to that, and, and this will probably connect on to what you're going to talk about at the end of the chapter. But when it talks about that wisdom that comes from above, mm-hmm. you know, when I look at verse seven and verse eight, where you can talk about you can tame a creature using man's wisdom, you know, through sheer repetition and just man's earthly wisdom, you can tame an animal. But just sheer repetition in man's wisdom is not going to be able to tame the tongue. The only way to tame it is to add in that wisdom that comes from above. Yeah, and again, great, great segue for me. You know, it, it all, it, for me, and again, this is not me. This is, I think we would all agree, it all starts with the heart. You know, are we, are we using that wisdom from above to tame our heart and to change our heart first and foremost before, because I think that the heart is, is the root of the problem. We can look at Matthew chapter 12 uh, for the mouth speaks from that, which fills the heart. Um, So it starts with the heart. The heart is, is what's driving what comes out of our mouth or at the very least influencing what comes out of our mouth. And so we have to use, the word in, in that speaks about that idea of transformation and putting on Christ um, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, being transformed, not conformed to this world. And uh, so, you know, we look at the world around us and um, there's not a lot of grace, not a lot of mercy, not a lot of people who are taming their tongue. We can see that every day. But we as Christians are called to something greater than that. Um, you know, we can look at these verses in the latter part, verses 9 through 12. Uh, with the tongue, verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse man who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be the way. Uh, and so with that, we need to really think about our nature and what, what by nature are we? We're created in the image of God. Um, God didn't create um, olive trees to to grow figs. That just doesn't come um, naturally. Um, with our tongue, it's a little bit different. Um, with our tongue, we can bless and we can curse. But it shouldn't be that way. Um, at one moment, we can be speaking good things and blessings and speaking the Word of God, and the next, depart from that. Um, I thought about a couple of other passages that speak to that the same idea and use some of the same language. Um, how words matter. Luke chapter six. How we're approaching our brothers and sisters, uh, whether um, it be someone in in error or otherwise, um, we need to think about the words that we're using. Uh, verse forty-five: The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil person out of the evil treasures brings forth what's evil. 
It's Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 45. Uh, similarly, um, Matthew chapter 7, uh, talking, uh, Christ talking to the false, about false teachers. You will know them by their fruits. Um, and so by their words. So obviously we can't judge someone's heart. We can judge their fruit. We can judge their words that they're using. And, and that's going to give us some idea of where their heart is. Uh, but it all starts back to kind of what Brian alluded to. Um, you know, where are we looking to for our wisdom? Are we looking to the world to guide us on how we interact with each other? Or are we, um, are we looking to God's word? So I'm going to move on for time's sake because I do want to get into James chapter 5. But I'll pause here for one last second to see if there's any last comments about James chapter David, James chapter 3. This is a little bit of a tag off of the other comments already. Talking about animals being tamed and whatnot. You can tame an animal. I, I think a difference for me is the difference in the word tame and like kind of total control. You can break a horse. You can break a, a wild animal of some sort and tame them to a degree. You can never get that total wild out of them. So they could always revert back. And that's kind of the way we are. We can tame, so to speak, ourselves, change our heart to a degree, but we can always be broken in a split second. Mm -hmm. So in that manner, we can never be totally tamed because it doesn't take but a split second or an instance to flip us back to the wrong side of things. Right. Again, to, to what John said, it's something we have to work at every day. Right. Um, you know, if, if you don't work with a horse every day, again, this I'm speaking from the movies, and right. <laughs> they'll go back out and, and either become very difficult to ride or maybe even go back and, and become a wild animal again um, very easily. So, great point. struggle with sin in our lives, but when we have God on our side, it's easier to resist that sin. And when we have God's help, it's easier to resist that sin. The same is true with speaking. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, I'll start at verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I think as a teacher, um, I always appreciate the prayers. Um, you know, when, when we have an opening prayer, that they think uh, they mention me um, because it obviously through God, it, it um, hopefully through that prayer, obviously, hopefully we, I've prepared and done what I need to, but um, through God, it makes it even um, more likely, more possible. So great point. Anything else? Well, let's continue on to chapter five um, so that I can cover a little bit. Uh, this is another one of these verses that I want to spend a couple of seconds 
unfortunately, just a couple of seconds um, because uh, of our time. But um, verse 12, spend a few minutes here. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yeses be yes and your noes be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And so what does it mean to not swear? What is James telling us here? Uh, so to begin with, we take a step back and look at certain Old Testament passages um, in Leviticus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy that all speak to um, how, when you take on an oath, what you should do, how you should take on that oath. Um, but for our purposes here, both in James as well as we'll look at passages, maybe or at least I'll mention passages in Matthew 5 and Matthew 23, that, that condemn this idea of taking an oath. I think James here uh, is really speaking to how the Jews have twisted these laws that have been given to them and tried to get around keeping their word. Rather than taking an oath by, in God's name, they've taken an oath based on the, the altar. Um, and James, as well as Christ in Matthew 5 and verse 23, is, is laying out to us and to them that by twisting it and trying to make one oath more important than another oath, you're, you're breaking the law. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. We should have our yeses be yes and our noes be no. Whether we take an oath or not, what we say should be held. What we agree to should be kept uh, regardless. Um, and so I think that's, that's the first thing that we need to realize. The main principle of this verse is, is let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. Um, now, to the point or the question around swearing, should we swear or not? Uh, I've already mentioned these, these passages. Uh, Matthew, in addition to James chapter 5, verse 12, Matthew uh, 5, verse 33 through 37, uh, Christ speaking, um, and I'll paraphrase, just be truthful. Don't rely on an oath. Um, you, you, but I say to you, take no oath at all. Uh, Christ speaking. Uh, Matthew 23, talking to that, that pharisaical practice in particular, that certain oaths are to be kept and certain oaths are not to be kept. Um, condemning that idea of, of taking those kind of oaths in particular. The flip side of it is we see some, some examples in the New Testament of, of oaths. You see Paul in Galatians 1, may I be held accountable before God if I'm lying. You see him in Romans 9 verse 1, um, he wants the Holy Spirit to bear witness of him. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 23, God is my witness against my soul. Um, you also see God taking an oath in, in Hebrews chapter 6. He promised and made an oath. Um, you see Christ in Matthew chapter 26 um, before um, in, in the trial. Um, individuals saying, I place you, speaking to Christ, under oath by the living God to tell whether you are Christ the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Again, Christ didn't necessarily take an oath there, but he didn't object to being put um, under the oath of the living God. All that said, um, I think we all are each need to, to really think about these passages and what it's being 
said and then how we're applying it in our, in our lives. Um, and, and I think about it especially in our country, at least, in judicial proceedings. You know, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you God? How am I going to deal with that? Um, I guess to begin with, I wonder if sometimes we, we put too much emphasis on the word swear. Um, if I say I promise or I confidently affirm, which to my understanding is another valid way of saying it in the court of law, am I still swearing? I think sometimes it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, it's semantics. Um, that said, I would probably hesitate to take that oath on the stand. Um, not because of the swearing portion. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. I think I'd be okay with that. It's the so help me God that I would probably have a little bit of pause about it. But again, I think it's something we need to, to think about and decide um, individually. Um, the thought for me personally of using God's name in that type of situation causes me pause. And so I probably would default to, um, I promise I'm going to tell the truth, or I confidently affirm and take God's name out of that. But I want to pause here for a couple of seconds and see if there's thoughts on that before I continue. I think, you know, looking at the aspect of the, of the, um, oaths that God has made comparing to, to us making oaths. God is in control. And he has, he's in control of everything that's going around. The situations he creates them or whatnot, right? And, and he's one who can fulfill his oaths. But we as man... We can make promises, we can make oaths, but we have no control of what's going to happen five minutes after we make that, an hour, a year, ten years, or whatnot. So even though we may have the best intentions of fulfilling that, we are not in control of all things like God is. Yeah. Very good point. Other thoughts? Would love to hear after class if anybody has thoughts on that. Um, you have other thoughts on this. I'm going to end real quickly uh, because of time. Uh, unfortunately, I did not, you know, time myself uh, as well as I should have. But the latter part of these verses, verses 13 through 20, um, give us some instructions, some, some direction around prayer. Um, I think, first of all, in verse 13... Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing praises. I think when we look at this in context of this this chapter, um, you see um, some of the things that are that are preceding in this chapter, talking about the difficulties that they might uh, be enduring, they might be bearing through, um, and because of that, James is directing them to pray. Uh, with that in mind, though, I think that, that he's also saying not only pray in difficult times, pray in joyous times. So I think it's an example for us. Um, you know, we can look at this talking about in verse 14, if anyone is among you sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, again, speaking to the power of prayer and the importance of prayer. Uh, modern medicine is amazing. Um, but the power of prayer is even more amazing. It's even more awesome and, and shouldn't be obviously discarded, but, but 
even if modern medicine says that this can't be done, you know, through God, all things are possible. The power of prayer um, is unbelievable, and I'm sure we've all seen that in our lives. Um, so we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for ourselves. Um, and so um, we've looked at throughout this book, James chapter 1, praying for wisdom. James chapter 4, praying properly. Uh, and then now here, uh, James chapter 5, praying in service to others. And so we see the importance of prayer throughout this book. Uh, this practical, uh, as someone said earlier, James is very practical in what he's giving us. I think this is another very practical um, guide for us around prayer. We need to be praying more. We need to be praying more diligently for ourselves and for those around us. Appreciate all the comments. Um, I'll close now.